Oh, hi. I'm Sarah. Oh, hi. I'm Aim. And we are Dead, dead my, dearest. my Dearest. Ooh, this is going to take a little getting used to. We have a new audio setup. We sure do. It sounds, uh, hopefully it sounds pretty good. This is the first time we're using it. It's going to be a little, little new and interesting, but we're stepping up our games on how we record and our sound quality. Finally, hype. Well, hopefully, this is this is uh, our first attempt at recording, and we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I know. We'll still have to be fixed in post. There's still going to have to be editing as usual, but it's going to make it a lot easier for us in general. Are you ready? Girl. Girl, I've been ready. I've been dreaming about Diet Love Pass ever since our last week. I literally wake up and I'm just like, but what happened to Diet Love? That's not true. <laughs> you don't know. I, maybe I, I sleep next to you. You're right. Maybe you do know. I do. I do know these things. All right. Hit me, girl. Okay. So quick refresher from last week. We got... Nine hikers from 1959. They're all pretty young people around 20 to 38, but most of them were the 20 to 24 range, right? They were uh, primarily students from the Ural Polytechnic Institute, and they were hikers. 1959. This is USSR, so old school Russia, and then friends. <laughs> they go up into the Ural Mountains. They are um, completing their final uh, trek that they need to do to become Category 3 level hikers. That's the highest level. Something terrible and mysterious happens on the night of February 1st into February 2nd, 1959. Ooh. Yeah, and we we don't know. So sometimes later, sometime later, uh, search and rescue are sent out and they discover the bodies. So they discover the first, uh, let's see, six or seven, I can't remember, five or six bodies. And then it takes several months to find the last three. That's that's a long lag between finding all the bodies. I mean, I guess they were like decently hidden, obviously. They weren't actually that far away from the original site. Wait, what? Yeah. Remember how I said it was going to get real weird? Yeah, you you mentioned it was going to get real weird. It's going to, it's a, this whole, whole part two is going to get real weird. Are you ready? Oh, I mean, we've been ready like twice now. I know, but I get excited. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm ready. I'm, I'm eager. Please tell me, tell me what happens. Tell me how weird this gets. All right. So we know that Dyatlov, Doroshenko, Kravonoshenko, Slobodin, and Kolmogorova, excuse me, they all died of hypothermia. But Dubinina, Zolotarov, and Thibault Bergnols had very strange injuries and causes of death. So here we go. Those... Uh, the last four hikers, not three of those, one died of hyperthermia, but three died of really, really strange things. 
when they finally found the last four hikers, they were about very roughly 250 feet from the first site where they found the first two bodies under the tree. But what happened is they were kind of in a, a ravine, like about under, not underneath, but 13 feet down from the top of the ravine. That was kind of a snowbank at the time. Uh, by the time they found the bodies in May, this bank was starting to have, um, it was starting to melt and it was creating a little stream. And I'm actually going to put up a graphic that someone did of how the bodies were found because it's a little bit confusing to explain it like via speech. The picture makes it really I'm, clear. I'm already confused. <laughs> so anyway, um, they find the four bodies. Three of them, so three. the three men were all huddled together like um, doing a cuddle puddle. I shouldn't make a joke like that because they're all dead, but that's what they look like. That's a little awkward. It is. And they had uh, one of their most injured companions in between them. So most likely they were trying to keep him warm to help him out. Uh Dubonina was found kind of facing perpendicular to them. It's unsure whether she was huddled into the group too. And then the runoff eventually like kind of pushed her body away. It's, it's unclear. All right. So here's where she gets super weird. Dubonina, who was one of the females, she died of internal bleeding from a severe chest injury, which, you know, you could explain that a couple of different ways, but there was no external injury to her chest. There was no bruising or soft tissue injury on her chest. Okay. So basically she wasn't pierced by anything. She wasn't like hurt or attacked by anything. She just died. Her ribs were crushed and her organs like squished from both sides. Oh, ooh, ooh. But to have not caused like, soft tissue injury and bruising like in the skin this would have had to have been caused by some kind of extreme pressure um of very sudden blunt force trauma it would be akin to being hit by a car oh okay so like when you get now this sounds super morbid but we're a super morbid podcast if you get hit by a car for example it's so sudden, it's so impactful that basically it, it crushes you, but it doesn't really bruise you. I guess that can happen. It's more of like there's because they don't understand exactly what happened. This is the closest approximation they could they could give. Basically, it would be hit, being hit by a car. But anytime I've seen pictures of people who have been hit by cars, they have extensive bruising. So it almost seems like there was like blunt force trauma or like crushing injury of some sort oh 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 oh. yeah it's it's rough so her body was missing her tongue her eyes parts of her lips her face and a piece of her skull what yeah so this the the facial injuries it could have been scavengers because again though these last four bodies were out there for three months so it could have been scavengers 
Okay, that, that that makes sense because obviously if animals are coming by and they somehow find the bodies, but like you said, these bodies were really, really hard to find. So like they were, that's the thing. Like they were kind of they were kind of like what ended up happening is they were about 250 feet from the first site. And it's the way the area looked, they started making a shelter like you would do in an emergency, like laying um bows down to sleep on so you're not sleeping on the snow that kind of thing and they were doing it into the side of this ravine where it was like 13 feet of snow up um so it's it looks as if these four lived the longest which they still died that night but they probably survived longer than the others so again what we're talking about here is they were starting to make emergency preparations but they were not going back to the camp again like we keep coming back to this. None of them are going back to the camp, which they could have done. Right, right. Whether they felt they couldn't get up. Because, I mean, three of them died trying to reach the tent again. So whether they felt they couldn't do that. One of their number was so severely injured, and I'll get to that in a second, that maybe they didn't want to leave him. They were too afraid to kind of shift him until they figured out, you know, got a fire going, figured out what they could do. Um, there's just, there's a lot of weirdness. So some reports um, quote that uh, Dubonina's tongue was ripped out. Um, I'm not sure what to say to that. <laughs> yeah, like not like, oh, I'm, I'm a, like a crow or, or a fox or a scavenger and I nibbled on this. Like it was pulled from the root out of her. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay, so, the, so this isn't like the top of the tongue or like something exposed. This is like literally all the way down. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's rough. She also was wearing Kravana Shango's pants around her left leg and foot. Now he was one of the ones that died trying to get back to the tent. So how did she get his clothes? I mean, maybe she got it beforehand, but like that would be the only way, right? But why would he give her his pants and then go back through like what was going to be the roughest like bit of cold trying to get back to the tent? Well, were they in the same tent? Everybody was in the same tent. Okay, so maybe it's possible that he wasn't wearing his pants for some weird ass reason and then she just grabbed them and ran, but like... Again, why would he has, have his pants off in such extreme weather when he's so experienced? Well, two, the two that they originally found uh, were undressed, and they think that's because of uh, paradoxical undressing that we had talked about in part one. But Kravonoshenko, like, he was one of the three that was trekking back to the tent. So if he was in his right mind, why would he have been here? Let me take off more of my clothes give them to you, and then I'm going to make this trek back up the mountain with less clothes? Yeah, exactly. Like That's what I'm saying. Like if My, my thought was, if he's do, if somehow she grabs his pants earlier, he's not in paradoxical um, he's, not, he's not in paradoxical hypothermia. He's not f- trying to think about it in a way that like he's getting too hot. He would have been in the tent. He should have been fine. And again, as you said, like why would he take off his pants in the middle of being out there and just give them over and then continue hiking without pants? Like, that seems no. But even, it's still, like, weird. None of these, none of this group was romantically involved. So why 
even if they're in the tent and they're like, you know, let's say, cause they don't have their boots on and some don't have their shoes. They're checking their feet, doing stuff like that. Why would she take his pants? She's got extra clothes. Why is she taking his pants and then running out of the tent? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, Zolotorov, he died of a severe chest injury as well. And he had no external injuries on the chest, just like Dubinina. Okay, so we now have two people who have no external injuries, but clearly had some crushing or blunt force trauma damage. Yeah, something. Something that, whatever it was, it was extreme, and it likely happened very suddenly. Okay, I'm following. And this, because of the extent of the injuries... This would not have happened at the tent. They wouldn't have been able to move afterwards. Whatever happens, it happened near the site they were found because they wouldn't have been able to like walk pretty much. Okay. They would have okay. they would have succumbed to these injuries within 10 minutes, but probably sooner. That's pretty fast. Yeah. So he uh his eyeballs were missing. Okay. Again, could be scavengers, but is kind of strange. Um, and he is wearing Doroshenko's hat. <laughs> Again, we are getting into like, what, what, how are these? How are these clothes getting so passed around? And how is everyone wearing different shit? So, <sighs> Thibault Brignos, he dies of a fatal skull fracture, like. Basically, I think it's the right side of his skull is just smashed in. It looks like, I don't even, like, it's almost, picture someone took, like, a giant hammer to a, a window pane and just shattered it. That's what it looks like. So, let me, again, go back here for a moment. None of them have blunt force weapons that they possibly or potentially could have used on each no. other, right? Oh, God, no. Exactly. So, like, you know, there's not something in hiking equipment that I can think of off the top of my head. And maybe someone else knows, but, like, there's nothing in hiking equipment that's that blunt and could cause that level of trauma on any of these victims. Unless it's something from an external source. Like, they're not punching each other. That would cause bruising. Like, it's, there's a lot, there's something unexplained here, basically. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, something like the skull fracture, if someone had taken a big ass branch and wailed him across the head that like you'd have to have extreme strength to be able to cause this kind of fracturing. I mean, it's, it's wild. Um, it's almost like, you know, there was a, a, a rock rolling down the hill and he caught it on the side of the head kind of it's, it was insane. So Holy shit. in terms of tools, the biggest thing they might have is like a, a cooking pan or a skis, something like that. But even that, I, it's not going to cause this these kind of injuries, and not the especially, chest injuries. No, obviously not. And especially like with the level of strength we're talking about, like this is not this doesn't sound human at all. No, and basically because uh, they could follow the tracks a significant way. Um, and because of the extent of the injuries, they were like, no human did this. We are sure. I have a, I have an answer. Aliens? Yetis. That's actually one of the theories. <laughs> of course it is. Yep. Of course yetis are here. Of course. Let me a- guess. 
Okay. Uh, let me guess here. Aliens is also on that list. Oh, too. yeah. Yeah. There's a total of 75 theories that have been presented. What? <laughs> so, Brig Knowles, he dies of the fatal skull fracture. And when he sustained this, he would not have been able to move after this injury. So, this happened to him either at the site he was found where they were like laying down the branches so they could sleep there. They like making a little, a little dugout um, or they carried him there, which seems pretty unlikely because, you know, they were already like not wearing enough clothes running through it's minus 33 degrees Fahrenheit outside. They're not carrying him to this place. Like whatever happened, it probably happened there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So he's found wearing Dubonina's fake fur hat and coat, which she could have given him this, knowing like he was succumbing to his injuries. He can't even like warm himself up. She might have put that on him because she was right there. Right. Okay. That makes a little bit, tiny bit more sense. Yeah. That one makes a little bit of sense. And Doroshenko, um, so let me, let me tell you about this other person first. Uh, Kolevitov died of hypothermia. He was one of the last four found and he died of quote unquote more normal reasons. He was missing his eyebrows for whatever reason. Uh, uh, oh, 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 eh. I yeah. Um, he's found wearing Doroshenko's jumpsuit. Oh, okay. and he also, he's got a couple other gnarly things. Now he did die of hypothermia. So, it's possible that whatever these other things that happened to him happened afterwards. Part of his skull was exposed when they found him. His nose was flattened and his neck was quote unquote deformed in the area of the thyroid cartilage. Okay. I'm, I'm still following this. Yeah, but he definitely, it was hypothermia that killed him. Gotcha. So the people who are wearing dirt, uh, Doroshenko's stuff. Now, Doroshenko is one of the ones who they found originally, one of the two bodies that was under the tree, right? Yeah. And uh, those bodies were basically naked. We're talking about that from the perspective of like paradoxical hypothermia, right? Right. So what people think is these guys succumb to hypothermia. Three of them tries to go back to the tent and these four who are found in the ravine close by, maybe they survived a little bit longer for whatever reason. And they actually found some of the clothing um, hanging up like on tree branches near the first two bodies, which is weird. So maybe those last four, grab some of these clothes. Maybe they, their friends already succumb and they decided to pull the clothes off them to give themselves a better chance. I have no idea. We, we, we'll never know. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of continued on to try to make a shelter. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, we can't, we, we, we can't know. We just can't know. Right. So those are the last four. Just to note, some, but not all, of these odd injuries occurred pre-mortem, so before death, on the other bodies. Doroshenko had burned hair, as well as bruising and abrasions on his face and hands. 
Did they have a fire? Uh, they could have. Uh, well, yeah, Doroshenko was near um, the remnants of the fire under the tree. Yeah, so maybe he screwed up somehow with the fire, but like, uh, oh. Possible. I don't know. I mean, your hair is a little weird, but possible. Uh, Kravonashenko had swelling around the eyes, swollen lips, and burns on his leg, foot, and fingers. Now, again, this is all pre-mortem. These things happened before they died. Okay, but again, I they can't both screw up this fire. I, I, oh my god, is. Uh, Dyatlov had facial bruising and scratches um, on his face and hands. Okay. Kolmogorova had uh, swollen eyes, scratches on the face, and scratches on the hands as well. Slobodin, the right half of his face was swollen, and he had swollen lips. And this is all, again, pre-mortem. Yeah. Um, and this is not all of the odd injuries. I'm just listing some of them. Uh, many of the bodies also had dried blood on them, especially on the face. Okay. Not their blood? No. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they could test that back then or if they thought to test it. It, it appeared to be their own blood on their faces. Okay. So like something caused an injury that caused a dried blood to be there when they moved out or like they were walking around like they had already sustained something and it led to the dried blood possibly yeah yeah something it's my understanding and i could be completely wrong about this but when you're dying of uh hypothermia and exposure even rough winds that's not going to cause bleeding you might get some swelling but you're not going to get very specific swelling in certain places like this it just that wasn't caused by just you know being in the elements it seems okay um so we're still getting into an external source we're still talking about an external source something mysterious that is definitely not the party that is not caused by some sort of interpersonal conflict it's something definitely leading towards external yeah yeah so i had uh, briefly discussed the last four are discovered down in that ravine it is pretty clear that they probably lived the longest they knew they were in danger and they were better dressed than their companions so either you know their companions gave them clothes they scavenged clothes whatever they were digging a shelter in the snow and lining it with branches which is common for people who are trapped in the elements and know what they're doing, trying to like get through, but they were not found in the shelter. They were found, uh, like 13 feet away from it. So they, could this have been done by like what we were talking about before, which was the elements and how pushed them It could have been because this at the time would have all been snow, like down in a ravine, but, when they found the bodies, basically the bodies were in this like little creek. So maybe because of the melting snow, they got pushed a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I, that makes sense. I'm, I'm following that. The, that part I kind of follow, you know, but like this 
constant going back and forth between all the clothing and then these weird injuries that is like it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that i guess um i sorry i misspoke because there's a lot of weird details here i i um I misspoke. Some of the clothes that were hanging on the branches were hanging on the branches by this makeshift shelter, not with the original two bodies. That's what I meant. But that also oh, doesn't okay. make sense because, like, okay, supposedly these guys probably survived the longest, are trying to, you know, uh, dig in until they can, you know, make a fire, that kind of thing. Why are they leaving extra clothes out, like chilling on branches? Paradoxical hypothermia. Maybe, but that usually causes you to be so hot you strip, not hang up clothes. Right, you're not in the right bind, I guess, to be perfectly hanging up clothes, chilling on some sort of branch or something like that. Exactly. So, because of all this weirdness, and this is before they find all the bodies, right? They find um, five of the bodies, four are still missing. And they open up an investigation to figure out what the heck's going on on February 26th. But on March 17th, so not even a month, they fire the first investigator and then they assign a man named Lev Ivanov. So in the middle of this like very weird, strange thing, the first guy that starts working on everything and compiling everything, they fire him. Okay. Yeah, and I, I could not find, like, it didn't seem like it was a matter of he was being reprimanded because he was doing a bad job, or I don't know. It's just, it was weird. Okay, so, like, secret firing. Ooh. So, they take the bodies to the nearest morgue, which is in uh, Ivadel. It's called Ivadel Morgue. KGB members surround this morgue. It is extremely difficult to get in and out. And then there's a giant barrel of alcohol delivered there. Like, okay, so when you say alcohol, we're not drinking alcohol, like isopropyl alcohol or something like that? Yeah, rubbing, exactly, rubbing alcohol, like a big barrel. So... Alcohol was used as a very rudimentary form of protection against radiation. So the morgue workers and investigators were instructed that they needed to extensively wipe the skin of the corpses with this alcohol. This strongly hints at the idea that someone in the government knew the bodies had been exposed to radiation. But how the hell would they have known that? It's not like someone came in, like this is never, if you were investigating hikers dying mysteriously on a mountain, you would never test for radiation. That's not a thing. Well, I guess you you would test for radiation if you knew the approximate location of where they died. And you are, of course, a government who is doing something uh, classified, such as, you know, the Russian government, or perhaps, you know, our, our government does plenty of classified testing activities and things that we will never pop potentially know about, even through the Freedom of Information Act or something like that. So, like, that would hint some, uh, they know something, and potentially they've done something of some sort. Yeah, yeah. And that's, we will talk about that theory later, because it seems to be the most likely. Um, so yeah, they, 
They bring in this alcohol, start telling them to rub everybody down and tell them to start testing the bodies and the clothings for the clothings <laughs> for radiation. Okay. Later, it's, okay. it's revealed that some of the hikers clothing tests positive for radiation. Ah, so like it's not even like a theory. It's like, yep, 100% there was radiation there. But okay, here's another weird thing. It was only two of the hikers' clothing, not all of them. And not their skin? I couldn't find anything about their skin. Ooh. Ooh. So I got thinking like maybe... Let's like give everybody the benefit of the doubt here. We know that Kravonashenko worked in that secret nuclear facility, and we know that he was exposed because he did plutonium cleanup the year before. So maybe someone in the government realized who he was because he would have been, you know, pretty in, pretty known in the sense of like the government would know about him, right? And maybe that's why they were like, oh, we got to be careful with this. This guy was exposed to radiation. So let's just do a test to be safe. I mean, potentially that that makes kind of sense. But he was the only one working with radiation, right? He was the only one working with radiation. And it was two sets of clothing, his and someone else's, the test positive. Right. That's what, that's what I'm saying. There were Because there were two sets of clothing, the other person was not working in radiation, was not working around nuclear materials. So why? I have no idea. No idea. Unless he's like that close to, what is his name? Kravonoshenko? Yeah, that was Kravonoshenko. Unless they were sharing clothes at one point, which could have happened. I mean, that's not the weirdest thing. No, because clearly they're all trading clothes for some reason and somehow they're all doing it with each other. So, yeah, no, that is not the craziest reason considering everything else we've heard so far. But if if he's giving off that much radiation, right, so his clothes are testing positive, wouldn't, like, the tent potentially, like, I feel like he would have, if he's, like, Marie curing this, like, wouldn't all the stuff be radioactive? All the stuff he touched anyway? He touched more than just his clothes. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking. He's got to be touching other things. He's got to be touching objects. They would start testing positive. And also, if you had that much radiation on you, or were somehow emanating radiation, you, you know, like, you'd be dead. <laughs> you certainly would not be able to survive this hike. Like, you, you wouldn't be going on it, right? Yeah, yeah, you'd be sickly, and from the reports, we do we do we hear that he was not sickly? No, beforehand? he was not at all. It's likely like whatever level of exposure he had, I I suspect he probably would have gotten like cancer when he was a little bit older. But he was not dying of radiation poison whatsoever at this point in time. Oh, oh dear. So. More weirdness because this just this whole episode is going to be weirdness. People at the funerals, and there are people alive today who went to the funerals, uh, report that many of the bodies were a variety of weird colors. So it's been noted that the bodies were deep tan, orange, a deep brick brown, kind of, you know, bouncing around that palette. Okay, so... I, I what, what what would that mean? I I, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> no one has any idea. 
Okay, so it's not just me. I'm not just sitting here going, what? Yeah. In the autopsy reports, uh, Zolotarov and Kolevitov, they note that their skin is gray-tinged or green-gray-tinged. Now, I believe these were some of the last people to be found, so that could be part of natural decomposition out in the cold, but the gray is a little bit weird as far as I understand. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about decomposition, but, um, you know, when you said green or something like that, and these were the last two, my mind immediately went to decomposition of some sort. Uh, so Diet Love has a sister alive today, and we're going to talk about her in a little bit. Her name is Tatiana. Um, she remarked in an interview that her brother's brown hair had turned gray. Whoa. So she was not allowed to go. She was young when this happened. I think like seven or nine, something like that. And her parents did not want her to go to the funeral. But there are, are colored pictures um, of the funeral. And she saw the pictures of her brother's body and his hair was gray. Okay. Well, I mean, there's there's photographic evidence, right? Like we, we can see that yeah. it's gray. It's not just yeah. it's not just faulty memory because memory itself is notoriously faulty this is like proven right right so in um the autopsy reports some of the bodies were reported to have liver mortis on the front of the body so keep that in mind on the front liver mortis is when your blood pools in the body after a person dies and it causes a specific kind of discoloration um, because the blood is pooling in the skin or under the skin Okay. So this okay. is this is pretty important in forensics because it shows how a body was lying after death. And how is it lying after death? So when they find some of the bodies, some of them have the liver mortis on the front, but they weren't lying on their fronts when they were found. There. There it is. There it is, folks. I was waiting for that one. Yep. This indicates that Something, we do not know what or whom, but something moved them after death. Yeti. Yeti. <laughs> uh, so there uh, was a forensic expert named V.A. Zorivadeni who was part of this inquest. He made sure to explain that the deaths that were not due to hypothermia, so three of the nine, were very clearly not caused by humans, as I mentioned. And he said, um, quote, because the force of the blows would have been too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. So it's just there's not a way, um, given where those people were, that a human could have made those kind of injuries. There's also like gotcha. no stab wounds. There's no like fist bruising or ligature marks or anything like that. Right, right. Again, it's something external, some some sort of force, not them. And yeah, totally, uh, you know, may, maybe I'll update the Yeti. Maybe I'll update to a wraith. <laughs> so a lot is not revealed within the autopsy reports. Originally, the reports didn't discuss the state of the internal organs, things like that. But it did reveal some of these other things that I've mentioned. And then all of this official documentation is basically swept up and sent into a secret archive. Yeah, I was waiting also for that. Um, but we're, we're on that topic of secret archives. 
and things being hidden. Unfortunately, we have to take a break. Secrets. So we'll tell you what happens after things are sent to the secret archive after this musical interlude. I need to get a drink. Drink time. Drink time. do believe that we are back from our musical interlude and i have more iced tea and you were saying during our little break that you have a crap ton more to I go through have, here uh several more pages so it's gonna be a long one that's okay i'm down i'm, I'm totally down you you can talk to me about dialogue pass all you want <laughs> so the government says it sends all of the stuff off to a secret archive. Now they've already done kind of weird stuff like bringing in the alcohol and preemptively telling the people to wipe the bodies down and having KGB surround the morgue. So they, the government is saying, Oh, the deaths are due to natural forces. There was a hurricane. There was an avalanche, something like that. That's it. Full stop. And they're like, well, these weird things can be explained by like, you know, being crushed under an avalanche or predators. And then they, they just secret everything away. Much You don't. You don't send in the KGB because some sort of yeah, animal attacked a hiker. Exactly. Exactly. You don't, like, find, like, nine random hikers who, quote, unquote, got, like, trapped in an avalanche and then have KGB in this super remote area surround the morgue they're in. It's, it's the same of, of us saying, you know, oh, some a tornado came through and the CIA is investigating right, with the exactly. NSA. <laughs> so much later on in life, one of the investigators who was on this team, because there was a fair amount of people, right? Uh, he was under Lev uh, Ivanov, who was the lead of the team. He revealed that the government officials would not allow certain facts to be included in the reports. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Another fun thing to note that several hikers in the area, as well as Mansi, they're the indigenous tribe to the area, remember, they saw odd orange bowls of light in the sky around the night that the group would have died. Oh, it really is aliens. And then the government shuts down that area for three years. No one's allowed to go there. And the Mansi who live there, because they're the only ones that live in that particular area, they were not allowed to use the water from the wells there for four years. Okay, that sounds like that sounds like radiation to me. One hundred percent radiation. Yeah. It, it's a lot of weirdness. Um, so, just another content warning: uh, I am going to be putting up uh, further pictures. Um, from this i'm not putting up the morgue pictures because we don't have permission for that but you can find them on dietlovepass.com if you're morbid and so inclined to look i know i certainly did um but i will be putting up other ones that are basically the the bodies being frozen as well as some of the bodies at the funerals um so there will be a little content warning picture and then you can you know scroll and see those on our uh instagram if you so wish just to clarify these these facts for yourself Gotcha, 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 gotcha. So we're going to get into some of the theories. There are 75. I'm going to cover some of the bigger ones. All right, so 
It's time for theory crafting. Dun, dun, dun. Theory number one. The Mancy did it. I don't believe that. So very first off, unsurprisingly, the indigenous folk get blamed for bullshit. That's, <laughs> this is my shock face. So they actually, um, by the time that the government gets involved in the search and rescue, which takes a little bit, originally it's just students and teachers from their institute doing this by themselves. Um, as soon as the government gets involved, they're like, we're going to round up a bunch of the Mansi and we're going to hold them for a while and start investigating them and interrogating them. Well, as you said, like the Mansi clearly reported that they saw balls of light in the sky, that they, you know, were seeing weird things. So bringing them in for investigation, especially if you don't want something to be known, would be the way to go. So I listened to uh, a BBC documentary on this. So this is, it's BBC, like they're doing good work on their documentaries. They were talking to some Mansi, um, they, they spoke to a woman who was alive at the time, and then, you know, some of the people who have since been born and there are rumors that the Mansi that were taken some of them were tortured to get information holy shit it's immediately clear that there are no other human tracks outside of the hikers in this area like it's it's absolutely clear and there are no bodies that have defensive wounds or any kind of wound matching a way that the Mansi could kill someone Right, again, we were talking about external, like, great strength, weird bruising. Not bruising, like, no bruising. Um, through all of this, all I'm saying is this theory is full of crap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's pretty clear, like, immediately the government was trying to pin this on the Mansi even before they found the last four bodies and all the weirdness that specifically came with them. But there was literally no proof, and so they, they pretty much couldn't put it on the Mansi. Of course, of course. So they keep these folks, they interrogate them, release them, and then the Nancy still fucking helps search for the hikers, and they were the ones to find the last four bodies. That's, first of all, I think that speaks very highly to the Nancy through all of this, through all of this adversity and through all this bullshit that they were still willing to help, which is amazing. And because I know if I went through that, I'd be like, no, fuck that. I'm not going back there. It's um it's really important to note too that reporters have been sensationalizing this story for years because there's so much weirdness and we don't know what happened. Um, but like they would they would heighten things like early on there was a report that Holak Shakal was known in Nancy language as Dead or Death Mountain, and that it was sacred. And then there was this uh report that um, uh, Gora or Torten, the place they wanted to reach in Mansi meant don't go there. That's all bullshit. <laughs> oh, really? So, oh, yeah. like, that's not, that's not true at all. Total bullshit. And you'll see, like, this is prevalent, like, in other podcasts and other investigative reports. Um, like, you'll still hear people say things like that, but that was made up way back when, and it just kind of got like wrapped up into the story. Well, you heard it here from us, folks. 100% legitimate supernatural podcast because we do the research so you don't have <laughs> well, to. Well, I mean, BBC, their, their reporter, uh, Lucy Ash, she actually, I, you can listen to this online. Um, it's amazing. I might link it for everybody who wants to listen. 
uh, she actually did the hike that the hikers, you know, trekked. Um, and she went to all these different people and, and all these different places and basically like retraced their steps. And she's the one that spoke to uh, Mansi tribe members today. And they're like, no, or Torton means mountain with swirling winds. This was all just BS. That is, first of all, awesome that she did that. And I really appreciate her work. She, you know, BBC again, bringing in the good work here. And I'm glad that we get to like share that information with, with our audience. So next theory, and you had you had guessed at this too, um, is a romantic dispute or a killer amongst them? Again, bullshit. We've been over this again and again and again. This doesn't this doesn't add up. Yeah, um, there's no defensive or human caused wounds. Uh, we have their photographs and their diaries still, and re- within it, it's recorded like everybody was good friends. Even the two people who had been dating and were no longer still got along. Um, at most, they occasionally got annoyed with each other. Like there's a record in a couple of the journals. <coughs> excuse me. Like the boys make some crude jokes and the girls get annoyed with them, but that's it. <laughs> oh no, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, next theory, wild animals, but there are no animal tracks. None of the wounds uh, match. There's no teeth marks or scratch marks outside of a few very definable post-mortem wounds. Yeah, I mean, again, we've, we have we went over this a little bit before and we were guessing at it. And it, it's... It's definitely more in the range of, eh, it could have happened, you know, especially if you, like, discount a lot of the other shit and just ignore it. But, like, it's not, it's not tenable overall. Then people move on to an avalanche. And this gets a little wishy-washy. The government actually, this is one of the, the things that they, to this day, put out that, it, that happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. But here's why it doesn't quite work. There were over 100 expeditions to that area, and the hikers would have had to bet in very high level to go out there because it was a very difficult um, hike. Not in any of those times previous or since has anybody ever recorded, like, the conditions you need for an avalanche. Okay. I mean, yeah. If we're not getting that data, that, that seems to be pretty clear that... It's probably unlikely. And I would also add, like, let's say the avalanche did happen, right? They would have some sort of, I would think, if the avalanche did happen and they were somehow buried or something like that, there wouldn't be a lot of running, first of all. There wouldn't be, like, them going all over the place. There wouldn't be them hanging up clothing, which doesn't make sense for an avalanche. And then they would have, like, more wounds on their hands if they dug themselves out, right? I mean, you would see... The footprints were there after three weeks and more. There wouldn't be any footprints. Oh, yeah. You would see the slide patterns and debris from an avalanche. There was nothing like that there at all. Yeah, 100%. Like that just, yeah. If the footprints are still visible, like it, obviously extra snow is not piling on and all, all, all of this shit. It just doesn't, we keep going back to it, it doesn't add up. Yeah. That doesn't add up. And also, these hikers were very, very experienced. Like they would know how to look for the signs of an avalanche and they wouldn't fucking camp there. So agreed. 
Yeah, it it that one doesn't make sense to me. Um, we do have Yeti and or aliens because you know there were lights in the sky. This is called the Mountain of Death. Um, there's TV specials on these if you want to see the ridiculous ridiculousness of that. I, I have to first of all, I have to do the appropriate meme for this. <gasps> aliens. <laughs> I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. <laughs> So then people start to get into a little bit more of the esoteric natural phenomenon. I kind of want to, I kind of want to hear these cause like Yeti and, and aliens, I, I obviously, I guess that, but I want to hear like the crazy shit that people are like just putting out into the world here. So one of them is called a uh, Carmon vortex street. Now, this is defined as the process where repeating chains of whirling eddies or vortices occur in fluids that are moving around blunt objects. For example, you can see this in clouds when they move around a tall island at sea. They kind of do these little swirling zipper patterns back and forth. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not wrapping my head fully around that. Like, how would that cause trauma? So um, I'm going to put up a picture of what this looks like so it makes a little bit more sense because it's difficult to visualize until you see it. And then you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get that. This, When this happens, um, this can happen with air. And it causes sound because of the way the airflow is. Okay, so like it, it, there's enough air, there's enough disturbance to sort of cause like that, the force that sound creates. I mean, it's similar to like a sonic boom, I guess, because uh, like that would be a great deal of force. I'm, I'm using that not in this situation, but as a more of a, a representation of the level of force that can be generated from sound. Um, yes, that wouldn't happen in this particular situation. No, 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 no not, not at all. So there's an author named Donnie E. Kerr. And he wrote a book called Dead Mountain. <laughs> Again, that's not what that place was called, but we'll go with this. He hypothesized that the Carmen Vortex Street occurred naturally when the wind moved around Holak Shackle, the mountain they were on. This would cause infrasound or very low frequency sound, potentially. And infrasound <clears throat> in humans can cause anxiety, balance issues, changes in blood pressure in heart rate and respiration, things like that. So Eckhart postulates that the infrasound caused by this Carmen Vortex Street made the hikers feel extreme panic. That's why they rushed out of the tent. But it gets a little wibbly because why was there three bodies with super weird injuries? He... Right, he explains that away by saying, oh, they fell off the ravine and that's how they got those injuries. But nah. that doesn't make any sense because there would have been external bruising. They wouldn't have started to build a shelter in that ravine. You know, like it, it doesn't it doesn't hold up for me. It's, it's the same as we talked about in, in the prior series. You're, you're missing some shit. You're like just like discounting it really quickly and then going on to something else. And also like I, I need to just say it because I just it's on my mind. I don't want to say these people got brown noted to death. <laughs> I mean, it's not a, it's not the brown note, and also the brown note doesn't exist. But you know, like 
I could get like the psychological effects of infrasound. That's definitely documented, but like, I'm not. Yeah. 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 It's, I don't know. He's some of the weirdest things about this. He's like, and you know, they did, they just fell. I'm like, but I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, then we have another strange phenomenon called a uh, catabotic wind. So this is also known as drainage wind or fall wind. It's basically when wind gets blown down a slope due to gravity. But because of gravity, it's blowing at a super high density, like down the mountain slope. So it gets super intense. It'll rush down at like hurricane speeds up to 190 miles per hour. So wind avalanche? No. Um, this can also cause very low humidity. So it just sucks the moisture out of everything in its path. So basically they're saying like this happened. The people couldn't stay in the tent. They ran and basically succumb to the elements slash fell off a ravine again. Still skipping a lot of like the cuts and the way the bruising forms. And, and like, yeah, still why skip is there radiation? Why is their skin like inappropriate color colors? All that, all that added on top with a cherry. So the final main theory, and this is the one that I personally believe that you had picked up on before, is military testing. So you didn't, you don't believe the aliens? <laughs> no, I don't think it was a Yeti or aliens. I'm going to go with Yeti aliens. What, what if it was a Yeti alien? Maybe. How could we know? We can't know. We can't know. So we know that around this time, the USSR was doing testing with parachute mines. And um, those are literally mines that are dropped by parachutes out of planes. These mines can detonate in the air and they would cause internal injuries, as was seen in some of the bodies, while leaving very few external injuries. Because the concussive force of the explosion would do that. Okay following um we do know it is noted in military records that there was testing around that area at that time mm, damn yeah and they suspect that people could have been doing radioactive testing like possibly like small radioactive parachute mines rockets something along that line because remember again a bunch of people noted the orange lights in the sky Right. And what year was this? Uh, 1959. So it's after World War II. Okay, yeah. So, like, they're clearly ramping things up. We've already seen the devastating effects of the nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. There's a lot of will, probably, from the government to develop new weaponry in order to defend itself from external forces. This is, if I remember correctly, this is before Cold War? No, this is in the midst of the Cold War. Oh, that's we're doing even, space yeah. race. This is the space race, so it's right in the midst. Uh, that's why I brought up the year, because like 100%, they would have a lot of interest in developing weapons that they could use against, uh, against America, you know, to get that extra edge in the Cold War or even space race. But like, I don't know what you use it for space for, but like Cold War, yes. 
So Lev Ivanov, he's the lead investigator that takes over, over all of this on March 17th. He straight up says much later on after the USSR is dismantled <clears throat> that the government pressured him to finish everything quickly and, quote, not investigate further. Then yeah. the end of this, so I have specific quotes from him and other people. But after he did this, then they transferred him into this little like podunk post in Kazakhstan. You're totally getting rid of him. He says, quote, he was ordered to ignore reports of fire in the sky to classify his reports and then forget about them. Now I really want to know what's in those government reports. So this, he comes out with this the first time, but he has repeated it since in the 90s after, again, the USSR dissolves. And he actually apologized to the family of all the dead hikers. And he explains that he really tried, like he really wanted to go and investigate a lot more stuff, but he literally would have been sent to prison or killed if he pushed any further. I'm going for killed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was rough. So we have uh, Eugeny Itoskev. He is the deputy head of the investigative department of uh, Sevlosk Oblast. That's the area that they're in. Prosecution office. <laughs> it's a long one. He's Ivanov's boss. He also said much later on in an interview that there were discrepancies in the original reports, which I've already talked about, like, yeah, it's like it was messy. They wanted to go fix things up. Right. So he's like, right. yeah, where the distances between where the bodies were found, all this other stuff. He wanted to go back. But the deputy prosecutor shut the investigation down. He says that he thinks the hikers were killed by military testing and then the government covered it up. Hundred percent. I am with this man. I'm with both of these men. I stay. I stand with these men. <laughs> Um, there is a photo, which I posted on our Instagram page last week, and it shows th the discovered tent that had been cut from the inside out. Some people argue that that tent is set up incorrectly, almost like someone reset it up after the fact. Ooh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't verify. That's just some people are like, this looks weird, like hikers who would have that knowledge. But just a little a little thought worm for you let me just recap this quick so we, when we consider the military testing theory as a whole well, there's more you know, too. we don't have all of it yet okay so let, yeah. let's keep going so there's another hiking group that was going to uh hike to ortorton that that final destination they're rerouted two days after the dyatlov group leaves the city of serov so they were there on January 24th, and then this other group gets there January 26th, and they're told, no, you have to take a different hike. You can't use this right now. Oh, so the Diet Love didn't get that information, basically. Um, so all of the hikers' families and parents, they all believe that the hikers' deaths were related to the military testing, all of them, right? Uh, Tatiana, again, she's the sister of Igor Dyatlov. She's quoted as saying, the families were told, you will never know the truth, Truth, so stop asking questions. So what could we do? Don't forget, 
If they told you to shut up in those days, you would be silent. You would not ask any more questions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Many birds and animals were found dead in that area at this time. Radiation. Yep. Further, the local Mansi tribes suffered from strange, terrible illnesses this same year. Let me, do you have what those illnesses are? Uh, no, because they're such a small group. They don't have traditional, like they didn't go to doctors. It's just recorded in like their own history. Like, yeah, people got really sick and we have no idea why. Okay. So let's just put it down with radiation again. Cause like, again, we can't, we don't have the full injuries or the full diseases, but if there's radiation testing, people are going to get sick. People are going to start suffering from radiation poisoning. There you go. Um, as I mentioned, the local people couldn't use water from the local wells uh, for a while. They were not allowed to hunt in that area, and they were not allowed to bring their reindeer herds because the Mansis survive via reindeer herds. They couldn't have them in that area for four years. Okay. Some of the pages of these reports, and this is what I had told you uh, previously outside of the podcast, are still classified. Oh, of course they are. Oh, 100%. But, like, the thing is, with the USSR, like, people knew they did shitty shit, just like our government does. And once the USSR dissolved, a lot of that stuff was revealed to the public. But some of this is still under lock and key. I'm trying to... I don't really have an explanation for that. I mean, obviously, as, as we talked about before in the last episode, the... They, they switched. There's no longer the KGB. There is a new government agency that took their place, which functions very similarly. And I get a lot of the declassification because you switched agencies. But yeah, I, I don't really understand, unless you're really keeping a very close secret, why you wouldn't release that information with the rest of it. I, my, my thought is it has to do that they were doing some kind of military radioactive tests and for whatever reason they don't want that information public yet or still maybe they found something for me this is a theory that explains kind of all the weirdness it explains the weird injuries the panic as the hikers fled the tent because maybe they heard um the booming or they like maybe they heard booming from farther away and they're like what the fuck is this we gotta run right because they didn't die right away they ran from the tent, and it was later that they succumbed to something. The radiation they find, the liver mortis, the reported lights in the sky, how the dead body's skin was weird colors, how the government was like, yeah, don't, just wrap it up. Don't look any further into this. The KGB. Yeah. <laughs> the KGB. And this is what I was going to say before when we were talking. Like, I wanted to do that, like, recap in my mind of everything that you've told me with the with these injuries. And specifically, what calls to me about this theory, as much as I want to blame it on Yeti aliens, um, this is... So you get the concussive force of blasts, which could explain, like, the sudden blunt force trauma that doesn't cause bruising. That would be hard enough and fast enough, a.k.a. being hit by a car, to cause something like that to happen if you were close to a blast second of all like there's cuts and stuff like that could have been shrapnel you know um if they hear the booming as you said you're gonna run because oh shit you don't want to be there anymore and potentially you don't want to go back to the camp if you know these things were happening very close to the camp 
Um, we do have the paradoxical hypothermia, which could explain some of this. Um, we do have intense panic, obviously, from hearing these noises, so it could explain some of the clothes switching. Like, there's a lot of areas here that line up very, very well um, with some of these injuries. I'm not going to say all of them, because some of them still seem a little off. Like, I, I say shrapnel for some of these cuts, but, like, I, I don't think, like, you'd have to be, it would have to hit pretty perfectly, and depending on the type of bomb, it, it, it may not be tenable for that to happen, or the probability would be so low. Not saying impossible, but pretty low. And you have to be pretty close to the blast, and there'll be more people affected by radiation of some sort. So, like, there are still discrepancies here, but it's definitely the closest freaking thing I can figure out to everything that we've talked about so far. Yeah, it. I mean, there's the weird swelling that you do get on their faces because the faces and the hands may have been exposed for everybody right um it doesn't <clears throat> i don't know that i buy into the idea that like <sighs> i think there was testing i think they didn't know this group was there and i don't think like the military came in and rearranged the bodies in a strange way i think they just didn't know this group was there and then when things started to be discovered afterwards that like okay these guys died cuz of the testing they tried to hush hush it up as quickly as they could but some stuff was already like written down and they basically said like don't investigate anymore that's my thought right yeah exactly i i agree and also like Maybe some of these injuries were caused by animals, which would still be in the area. And if you're panic running, and if you're like, holy shit, there's military testing of some sort, maybe you run into a predator that causes some injuries, but not all of the injuries. Like, you could add that on top, basically. Yeah, and I mean, these bodies minimally were out there for three weeks, maximum three months. So there's a lot that can happen in that time that might look mysterious to us, but it's just like, okay, like Dubonina's body was kind of like down and away a little bit from the others. That could have been the snow melting that pushed her dead body away. We we won't know. 100%. Yeah, yeah. So then we have, um, to wrap this all up, the aftermath of everything. So there is a Diet of Pass Foundation. It was founded in 1999 by Yuri Kuntstiv. He was 12 when this all happened, and he actually attended the funerals. He has a number of items from the hikers, including passports, books, photos, compasses, and even a red gramophone. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty neat. They actually played it on the um, BBC documentary, and it's pretty wild. That's cool. So he set this up. He, he set up this foundation. Um, one of the main reasons he did was so the hikers could be remembered as people and individuals they were all good people and they just wanted like they were just starting out their lives pretty much like they all wanted to do good for their country for their families like they were you know kind of like shining eyes getting ready for their adulthood and they died tragically yeah right the foundation is still working to solve the full mystery around their deaths and because he made this an official foundation Yuri can now seek, uh, legally seek information from government officials, which is important. Ooh, fancy. So then you have people who get involved in this tragedy for less than uh, noble reasons. There's a Russian tabloid newspaper 
uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to call it K Pravada because it's a very long, very difficult Russian word. And they actually got Zolotarev's body exhumed in 2018 because they said they were doing it so they could help figure out what this mystery was. Um, but basically, like, they're a tabloid paper. They were doing it for, like, shock value and to sell more things. And then they did this whole thing. I talked a little bit about it before. Uh, this was the older guy. And they were trying to make him out to be like he was a spy and he's this is actually an assumed name and his DNA didn't match his family's, which, you know, another group did it and it did match his family's. So I just think they're kind of an asshole tabloid. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, what are you telling me that people and humans do unscrupulous things in order to get profit from terrible situations? Shocked face. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was the Russian Center for Re Forensic Expertise in the Ministry of Health of the Russian Federation. They were the second people that did the DNA tests, and they were like, yeah, it totally matches. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, but it's sad because people want to exhume all of the bodies to try to figure this out. And some of them are saying they want to do it to find the truth, but some are just kind of like money grabbing because of this tragedy. And that's, it's, it's awful. Yeah, that's really sad. And it's hard sometimes to even tell who's who in some of this, like a tabloid. Okay. You know, they're kind of going to be thick bags <laughs> words, but um, yeah, it, it could be hard to figure that out. So Tatiana, we quoted her before. She's the sister of Igor Dyatlov. She says, and I quote, what new things could come of the exhumation? All the injuries have been described in sufficient detail. And emotionally speaking, this is very hard. Just imagine digging up their coffins. But if there is no other way to find the answers, okay, we'll see what happens next. So many years have passed and still nothing is clear. And people are still interested. This is what surprises me the most after so many years. There is something in this tragedy that stirred the whole world. And it actually, there was such public outcry for various reasons that in Russia, the prosecutor's office in that region has reopened the investigation in 2019. Wow. wow. So that's really, really recent. It, yep. Um, They're currently working on it. I did not find that they had reached a conclusion yet. However, they will only be reviewing the three, quote unquote, most likely theories of the hiker's death, avalanche, hurricane, or snow slap avalanche. They will not be investigating any other means of death. Oh. And that is the mystery of Diet Love Pass. That was a trip. That was a trip and a half. Yeah, it's it's a lot. I feel I I just I feel really bad because it's like people are still around that were directly affected by this. There's still siblings. There's still people who are at the funerals, you know. And I want I want to find out what happened so the mystery can be put at rest and like these people can get 
what they deserve. You know, they, they deserve to have what happened to them be known. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Fully agreed there. Like, I wish we could get the full story. I wish we can get that level of insight from the government and a little bit of honesty in the world, but can always get what you want, I guess. But luckily, there's awesome people like Yuri who founded the foundation and they're still, you know, pushing for, for noble reasons, which is pretty great. No, no. And that is really heartening to hear. And I'm glad that there's still enough of an outcry to at least attempt to reopen the investigation. And maybe during that, they will debunk some of these these three common theories. Hopefully they won't point fingers. And then we can get a couple things narrowed down here of all things. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, if I can find information, if they make a, a designation, the prosecutor's office, I will try to post that to our Facebook page, our Instagram, things like that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's a mystery. So we'll be putting up those pictures for you guys. I will try to put up a link for the um, BBC documentary on this. It's really fascinating to listen to. It's really interesting. So. Yeah. So speaking of those pages, uh, where can you find all of them? So you can go ahead on Facebook and find our page at Dead My Dearest. Ooh, that's number one. You can check out Instagram, search for Dead My Dearest, or go to Instagram.com slash Dead My Dearest and see all those grody grody pictures that I just warned you about. And some of those will be content warning as well, using a very fancy graphic that I made. Mm-hmm. It looks pretty great. You can check us out on Twitter at Dead My Dearest. And if you're so inclined, you can send us an email. Maybe just tell you some sp- tell us some spooky stuff about you that you know, good stories you have. Tell us about a subject you want us to research. I love me some research. We're we're always open. Give us constructive criticism, fun feedback, whatever you want. You can send us an email at deadmydearest at gmail.com. And you know what? A little Comey, a little Comeyo who's currently sleeping, earlier he was listening to a lot of podcast sources, and he was telling me that you can listen to Dead My Dearest on Spotify, you can listen to it on the Apple iTunes Store, you can also listen to it on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Buzzsprout, and more. So please use your service of choice to listen to us. You don't have to be stuck on one. This is pretty great. But yeah, that's it. We'll be back next week with I don't even know yet. I got a list. I got to look at the list, see what inspires me. Guess we're going to throw a dart at the dartboard again. All right, kiddos. That's it. Stay spooky, darlings. Bye-bye. You are a poopy bum. Poopy, poopy bum. Do the mic check. You are a poopy bum. Poopy, poopy bum. A mic check. Cha, 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 cha. <laughs> More?